Yeah, so welcome to Returning to Base, a MechWarrior Living Legends podcast. Uh, today we have one, two, three, four, five different people. A co-host, Dom Keck. Yay. Me, your host, Warlord Kentax. Hi. And we've got Invictus, one of the developers of MechWarrior Living Legends in its current state. Yep, okay. And we've got Duelist of Clan Smoke Jaguar. Glad to be here. Oh, and I should mention he runs some very important events that are in the community. Such as Chaos Mods, Operation Viper. I believe you got SJ involved in Ishiyama? Yep, we're going to give that a go. Uh, take on 12PR uh, this weekend if uh, we get everybody in there. We've also run the 3v3 in the past and uh, the occasional clan bash. So yeah, always always very busy with events. And for the benefit of any completionists listening, uh, this is being recorded on December 1st, 2017, or December 2nd, depending on where you are. And of course, we do have a unannounced guest in the form of Shibaxi. Yes! Dave, you I was Dave waiting for my cue. Hi! Dave Super secret. Him. I, I, maybe I wasn't supposed to come User in just yet. Joined your channel. And Proxima, who was also invited to this. Oh, I'm sorry. Scary. No, no, Proxima's invited to this. I'm pretty sure we invited you. Oh, okay. Well, if I wasn't, then I'm still going to be here, because, you know... I also like how you introduced a co-host first, and then the host. Huh, yeah, yeah, man. Like, it's really nice. I, I appreciate Respect. it. Respect! But... Pass. We got, like, the main developer mans, we got a streamer, we got the main organizer of all the events and shit, and you fucking briefed me first. Like, come on. <laughs> well, don't cut yourself short. You are number two of the one of the biggest factions in this game. The biggest factions that are primarily sleepy sleepy. Too busy with life. I see plenty of you guys around. Like in pairs. Well, yeah, but that, that's enough to keep the sky busy. I suppose. I suppose. I mean, I mean, if we, I mean, come on, like, are people gonna stick around in the game if there's like ten aircraft in the air? Mm. We do also fly Mark IIs because we happen to manufacture and sell those. I'd also like to give a special thank you to Timothy Seals for providing us with our theme music. Oh wait, he didn't he didn't give us permission yet? Oh. Well, maybe he'll give us permission before this is released. Who knows? Edited content, am I right? Yeah. So our topics today are going to be uh what's up next for Living Legends, maybe it's history, uh who knows. Uh it's what Invictus is willing to talk about. Then we've got um, some stuff from Duelist about Chaos March and other community events going on. And then uh, we will also be discussing meta, especially pub meta, pub game meta. So I'd like to start off by, again, welcoming Invictus from the dev team. Yeah, this is the first time I've kind of spoken up on any of these. I've kind of been in the corner, being quiet. So, Invictus, have you developed the uh, super heavy assault mech yet? <laughs> Please? Really? Please? 
Please? Quadruped. You know, I need it. I want it. You know, if Battletech had had a four walker, kind of like an AT-AT from Star Wars, for like 150 tons, I probably would have made a game mode for it. But they just don't really exist in the lore. The ones that do are just lame. Tripods don't exist. Oh, wait. No, we should definitely bring in the four-legged bushwhacker. Please. I mean, you could make use of the tarantula? Question mark? You know what that is? Well, I mean, are the super heavy ones still limited to 19.5 tons of armor in Battletech? No. I believe... Thank you. I don't know about the uh, Ares, the uh, tripod. I do know that the uh, Omega is 7 or 29 tons of armor, and the Orca is... doesn't really say on the wiki. Kind of has to guess. I'd say it's about 30 to 35 tons of armor. I guess that would make a little more sense. I'd never make a tripod, though, because it would be impossible to animate. 200 hours in MS Paint to bring you this still-frame-moving tripod. <laughs> so, Invictus, you had an update um, recently to fix some network stuff, but before that, we had the, um, the .9 release, and that had the Argus and the Ebon Jaguar, right? Yes, and also the Regulator and the Rommel. Um, the point of that patch was to get out a bunch of new vehicles, because before that, the only new vehicles we had come out with were the Avar and the Xerxes, which were both planes, and honestly, not very many people fly. So I wanted to try and get as many um, ground vehicles out as possible. And there should be more on the way, because it was also a learning patch. We kind of learned how to make um, new tanks and new hovercraft and new mechs if they're they use shared legs are actually pretty straightforward, so there's nothing really stopping us from relatively quickly making a new mech, as long as it doesn't need a new leg set. Um, but a mech that needs a new leg set, I think in principle we could do it, it's just it would take a lot of learning, and at this point there are so many mechs in the game, I'm hesitant to start that learning process until a lot of other holes are fixed in other areas. Like, mostly bugs, or...? Oh, I mean, just new assets. Um, there's a couple light tanks I was thinking about putting in, and there's one more airplane that needs to go in, and the heavy VTOLs need to go in. There's a lot of non-mech stuff that needs to be done um, before a new mech with a new leg set would be called for. And it and then there are so many choices, it gets to the point to where it's more of what you want rather than what you need. Because there are already almost all the roles are filled uh, mech-wise in the game. I think the plan is to maybe have more IS light and one more clan medium. Because there's no 50-tonner clan medium right now. Uh, once you start getting into all the heavy mechs, I mean, there's so many heavy mechs, there's so many assault mechs, anyone can just go to Sarna and just pick, oh, I want this one, and it's, they're all cool, but there's not too much justification you can get to spend all that time to create it, because 
because of our variant system, even though I try to keep each mech to have a certain personality to where I won't, I just won't put the exact same weapons of another mech on it. Um, it still gets to a point where you're going to be crossing over roles so much that it's not really 100% needed for the game. It's just a nice to have. So that was like with um, the Owens, how you added um, Beagle Active Probe, Tag, and uh, C3 to every single one of them so that it would fill a, a specific role, right? That and, uh, yeah, it was trying to be more of a an Owens because it started to morph into other things. We kept putting a bunch of ton of weapons on it, and it already has the most armor easily of any of the lights, so... And it has very good shape for running around and not dying. So it got to the point to where it was a, it was kind of like the old Shadow Cat. Really, back in the day, it was a little a little out of control to where if you put the Osiris next to it or the Raven, it was like, why am I ever going to take either of these when I could just take an Owens because it was flat out better. One of the reasons why the Owens can fit all that is because it, in BattleTech it had a specific amount of fixed equipment. It was an Omni Mech, so I said, well. Let's just go ahead and make sure that it's required that the fixed equipment is fixed on there because in most situations, Omnimax, we don't really respect a lot of that because we use a variant system anyway and the only really good things you get out of Omnimax in a game like this um, would probably be being able to repair arms and being able to switch out um, variants on the fly without having to resell. And neither of those really sound worth putting the work into. Um, in the lore, it would be more, as in a campaign over time, um, it would be much more flexible. Um, but in there, like, the base role of it, though, I believe battle mechs are supposed to be more flexible, but they just take way more time to customize and they're way more expensive to do so. So when you look at it, the system we use is kind of a cross between the two. But the main thing is that since we don't have a mech lab, and even if we did have a mech lab, we don't really have any overtime mechanics, like an MMO-type mechanic, which is where I think mech lab would make the most sense to where... It takes time to repair and it takes time to customize as well as money. Um, none of that really exists in the game, and there's not really a plan for any of it. So, yeah, I was going to ask. Um, I, I know why, but uh, why isn't there a mech lab, and why isn't there a mech lab uh, in the works for Living Legends? So there isn't a mech lab. Um, the old Wandering Samurai, the original devs, um, it, was, it was on their back burner. Um, they, from what I recall, they did kind of plan on it, um, but they had put it off for a long time. Um, I remember someone on the team had created a third-party software and kind of made it a, a janky version of one, but it did kind of work. Um, and so they were interested, um, but at the time of them wrapping things up, um, it was basically flat out cancelled um, this team we really don't have plans for 
one um for one it would it's a whole lot of work and we're not quite sure how much gain we get out of it in fact i think the old devs wandering samurai they were also they wanted to do it but i think a good portion of their team who had been around for a long time had just seen what it had done to MechWarrior 4 and MechWarrior 3 and just said we're just going to pass on that because since this is a multiplayer game basically only there's no single player that would kind of be the draw of MechLab is really that you can just mess around with it in single player and have fun with it so you don't have to worry about per se balancing it for multiplayer so just what you're getting out of it versus the effort you're putting into it, it's just it's not really worth it i i personally i think you could balance it um just because if everything around it is balanced as long as you don't go crazy with it um it could work but it's just not worth it may i chime in here for a second absolutely on on the subject of the mech lab i believe when i did uh my sort of live stream q a uh, with Kamikaze, the original Living Legends uh, developer, we asked him the same question about the Mech Lab thing, and he said that um, the way they originally wanted to sort of implement it was a system where, uh, similar to how Mech Warrior Four had a Mech Lab, where you can only swap out, you know, energy hard points for energy weapons. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't like put m- missiles. You know, you can put missiles in your laser arm or have lasers in your catapult ear missile pods. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. So. Um, it was only you were only going to be able to swap out um, the same sort of type of weapon energy for energy, or even, but it was going to be limited more than MechWarrior Four was, uh, like having a size limit. Like you wouldn't be able to fit a medium laser in a small laser slot. You know what I mean? So it was going to be something like that, from what I remember. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's how um, Kamikaze had described it. Um, yeah. But to share, sort of share my own opinion and, and playing the game for such a long time, because um, I you know I did start playing Living Legends back in 2009 when it was uh, really really new, um, and I actually like this game better without a mech lab because I think the variants do such a well job at or sorry do such um, a good job at balancing every mech on the field and. Uh, creating this role warfare, you know what I mean. So like, I, I like having the role warfare, and it's it just it just feels more like BattleTech to me in that sense because a lot of mechs in the lore too were very much specifically designed for role warfare for a specific type of role to do a certain thing, and we kind of get that in Living Legends. There's a counter to everything in this game. Speaking of, Invictus, are you going to implement more variants anytime soon, or is that going to be something else for the a later date? To be honest, a lot of vehicles just are kind of pushing it with 8 as it is. Um, if you are trying to think up something actually competitive, and without making it start to copy itself within the same vehicle, um, a lot of them are really pushing it as is to whether really not a lot left to put on it. Um, I will say if if it is a thing in the future, um, the first thing that needs to happen is the buy menu needs to be reworked because it's so long already as it is, particularly the mech one, that just stuffing more and more in there um, probably isn't going to happen. In fact, there was a 
push early on when we first started to get rid of a lot of variants because the buy menu uh, was so clogged. But we kind of decided we'll just make a base eight and then go ahead and worry about the buy menu later. And we do have a new flash guy, so hopefully we'll get around to that eventually. There's still the Solitaire and the Fafnir that both have less variants than the other mechs, the Fafnir having seven and the Solitaire having six. Yeah, both of those are kind of special cases, particularly the Fafnir. Um, a while back, I decided that the Fafnir, in order to be the Fafnir, really needs to have big guns in the torsos. Um, so a lot of the possibilities left require smaller guns in the torsos, like larges, like Rack 5s. Um, Rack 5s are considered assault guns, which so are Gauss rifles, and the Fafnir has Gauss rifles, but they're considered pseudo-assault to where you wouldn't put them where you would only consider a large, but you don't really consider it an assault either. So, for instance, the Bushwhacker can have two Rack 5s in the arms, but the Uzeal cannot. The Uzeal can only have larges. So the tonnage is definitely there, because the Rack 5s are actually pretty light on the Uzeal, but it's just too large for the arms. So the Fafnir has the opposite problem, to where the Rack 5s are just too small, and that's kind of the reason why the Rack 5, the old 4 Rack 5 Fafnir um, was removed. And so when you start actually taking rules like that into account, there really isn't a lot of options left for the Fafnir. I mean, it boats two of pretty much all the assault or siege weapons that are available. And I think HPPC, the new heavy PPC, is, kind of also falls into the Rack 5 category to where it, it's, an, it's kind of a pseudo-assault. So it really uh, wouldn't put, count. Just put double thumper on it. Or you can put two Hack 40s. As far as HAG goes, um, I still don't have any plans to make dual HAGs. Um, I will say I might tighten up the spread a little bit, because it is a little sandpapery at longer ranges, uh, but we'll see. An idea for the uh, <clears throat> reworking the menu and like you know how you said there's just this huge list of, of mechs especially. Um, you could sort of categorize things in a way uh, by you know light, medium, heavy, assault. So people just like switch, you know, choose the category they want. Because usually when you're at a certain point in C bills, you know like what uh, weight class of mech you're probably going to go for at that point. Uh, well, anything else in the works that the our listeners should know about? Well, the main goal at this point, um, from here on out, besides just putting in new vehicles whenever we're done with them, is to rework all the battle armor. Um, it's something that the old devs didn't have a time to complete. Um, and we've also put it off for a long time because there really isn't a system in place to get them in smoothly. We're going to have to do it from scratch. Um, the Elemental and the Longinus that are in the game are basically just replacing the Crisis suits for the North Koreans and the Americans. Um, it's really, really basic and really, really placeholder. Um, in fact, m most all of their stats are still in the C code, um, which is in the kernel files. So we would have to recompile it every time that we wanted to make a change, which just isn't really going to happen. So we have to rip all that into scripts, which is what the vehicles use. 
and it still has to interact with the buy system and everything. There's just so much infrastructure that needs to be built around it first um, that it's going to be sort of a long-term thing. So my plan was to try and make more vehicles and get them out you know, every few months to keep everyone interested while we wait for all of the time that it's going to take to do the battle armor. Um, I will say that the plan was to have, well, the, the ultimate goal is to have one battle armor per tech base per weight class. So it would be two lights, two mediums, two heavies, and two assaults. Um, the two mediums obviously are already in the game. Um, the two heavies are technically the art is done from the old team and we're going to try and get those in first and then the two assaults and the two lights are still up to um, we haven't really decided what they're going to be yet but the two heavies are definitely the gnome and the phalanx and then we were going to replace the default pilot they won't be the elemental or the longinus anymore but rather they'll be the old nighthawk suit um, which are what battle armor and the lore are basically based off of and both clan and is will share that and that will be the basic pilot suit that will probably have a little rifle maybe a statual charge he can throw and a pistol or something something basic that isn't as ridiculously squishy as just a regular pilot would be but definitely not going to be considered a full-fledged battle armor even the light battle armor you'll have to pay for spooky i heard talks of how are BA weapons going to be handled in this context, then? Will the different units have different weapons they can take? And the Nighthawk approaches like a man pack? Yeah, there's a ton of weapons that we have to choose from. Um, some BA will probably be more flexible than others. For instance, if we plan on like the Golem, which is the assault BA for the clan, we were thinking about trying that one. Um, it kind of has two ends strapped to its arms. Um, probably won't be able to take much else than that. Um, I can't see a golem going around with like one laser. Um, it'll probably need need to dual wield. Uh, but there are a ton of different options that we could go with. Um, one thing I will say is that the bear AC, quote unquote, that's in the game really isn't the actual bear AC. Um, that one's going to be a lot nastier. It will probably be closer between a Rack 2 and a Rack 5 mech-wise than just a little machine, piddly machine gun it is now. But it'll probably only be available to the Assault BA. Yeah, the bear autocannon, I remember looking it up on Sarna, and it does considerably more damage to mechs than, uh, than it does right now. And one thing I will say, too, is that BA weapons and weapons against BA right now um, are kind of a mess because weapons in the game against vehicles, every vehicle has its own modifier for different damage types. So, you know, energy, which is lasers and PPCs, um, heavy kinetic, which is Gauss rifles, all the types of Gauss rifles, kinetic, which is your big um, auto cannons then light kinetic which is your small auto cannons and missiles everything has its own modifier well the battle armor has its own modifiers as well and they're locked up um in the code right now so probably one of the first things we're going to do is rip those out and start to work on them because they're very very old and they're it makes some things very frustrating 
for instance, the light kinetic has a 15 times modifier, which is why basically if you get hit by an AC2, an AC5, you go back to a rack 2, any of those, if you get hit once, you're basically instigibbed. And that's completely wrong in how it's supposed to be. If you, if you take an elemental supposed to be able to survive a large laser, I mean, that's at least like 8 damage. So they should be able to take a full AC5 shot and still live. And there's like 4 shots in an AC5 burst. And just one of those shots in that burst will instigate a BA, and that's completely wrong. And I think that's part of the reason why BA feels so squishy right now, that some weapons are just completely broken, like the new HAG. Um, each one's supposed to do one damage. Um, so HAG 20 does 20 shots each one damage. It should take at least, I mean, at least five shots to kill a BA. It's, Right now, it just instigates them in one shot. So it's just been getting worse. Each release we have makes tries to make the weapons that are not as used better. So all the weapons are getting better, and that's good, but they're all getting ridiculously good at killing BA now. But why so, does it instigate them? Because there's a very large modifier for some types. So oh, for like the light okay. kinetic, it's 15, I think. I think it's 9. For heavy kinetic, where did this modifier come from, and can you change it? We can, um, but it would change for all the BA equally, and that's we didn't want to do that, so we kind of have to pull it out of the code into the scripts, so we can assign modifiers to each suit individually. Was this something that the original Living Legends did on purpose to sort of maybe nerf BA a little bit? Yeah, they wanted specific weapons to be better at it. I think usually the weapons that were good at AA, so like your racks and your mm -hmm. like, those were kind of the same things that were meant to be oh, at BBA. Oh, right, right. I mean, I guess if you want to think about it from a technical standpoint, it could make sense that big of a projectile at that velocity hitting <laughs> a human-sized object would kind of snap it in half, you, you know, wouldn't you think? Yeah, it really depends. I try <laughs> stuff like that. I try to keep towards the lore, so yeah, they're 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 a lot tougher versus some things than they should be. Mm -hmm. I think for lasers, they're about right. The elemental. I'm fine with either way it is, as long as it's it's still balanced in the game. That's pretty much what I care about, even if it's not exactly right onto the lore. And I mean, it already isn't. You know, being able to jump into a cockpit while wearing your BA suit and then jump back out again. I know that's not how it's supposed to be, but it makes for balanced gameplay, you know, and that's kind of like, I like having fun, is I think is important to put first over uh, you know, lore. You gotta make it work for a game and make it fun. Yeah, once we get all the BA in, and then the pi little pilot suit, um, the days of bringing BA into vehicles will basically be gone. You'll just default back into the pilot suit, so and it'll probably warn you. We're, we're not quite sure if it's going to disallow you to enter, or if it will just kind of be like BA weapons are now. It will be understood that they will be removed if you go into a vehicle. I remember back in the day when their, the weapons weren't removed when you got into mechs, and so here, after working for a minute and a half trying to kill an Atlas with my light mech running around it in circles, I finally managed to get it down. I almost kill it, and then they eject and start shooting at me with a heavy micro laser. Or yeah, micro heavy laser. And I will say that probably for my intent, um, some weapons are doing way too much damage uh, for BA, but they're also way too easy to kill. So I kind of want to slow it down a bit. Um, 
kind of like the rest of the game is, where you have more time to do decisions rather than you're just going to run out there and hope you don't get instigated. I think probably the heavies and assaults will do about the damage that a full micro-heavy uh, PPC C8 throwing elemental can do now, while the elemental itself will probably be slowed down in its damage, but I'm planning on making it more maneuverable so it's not so floaty. That way if you accidentally jump jet into the sky, I'm just going to float there and die horribly. Give it some actual effects of gravity, eh? While also trying to remove a lot of the bugs, I think, unlike some of the vehicle bugs and some of like the game crashing bugs, which are going to be really, really hard to hunt down, if at all, I think a lot of the BA bugs are pretty fixable. Alright, well, I think that's probably enough for now on the development end of things. Thanks for talking with us, Invictus. Uh, you're welcome to stick around and comment on things as you see fit. Yeah, thanks very much for talking, mate. Alright, so I would like to welcome our next speaker, Duelist. I already welcomed you earlier, but welcome yet again. Well, now I feel double welcome. Thank you for that. Yeah, no problem, man. Well, what do I do in Living Legends? Uh, I'll leave it in the show notes. MEKMaster.com is the centralized stuff that I do. I help to run Clan Smoke Jaguar, uh, sj.mekmaster.com, if anybody ever wanted to look. But outside of that, I uh, have been trying to work alongside a few awesome people through the years to put on events for us, and our main event uh, is Chaos March. What is Chaos March? Well, for the past couple of years uh we've run three different forms of it but uh our latest one it's a ongoing planetary capture campaign that's played by six factions led by six different leaders although we're down to five now uh four actually and uh each team every weekend attacks one of 63 planets for domination of a star map and it's great because people can come in and we can play as little as eight players. We can play as many as 40. And uh, uh, basically you can show up and be as simple as, I'd like to play today, tell me what to do. And somebody says, okay, go to the server, play that. You can try to lead the group of teams. You can be a drop commander and try to command the forces. Uh, you can try to be the guy that runs all the chess pieces and runs one of those four teams uh, all over the star map, or you can also, uh, also do what I do and just be a, a support end of the role and be a referee and, and these type there every weekend, and uh, I like to have lots of fun with it. It's primarily a drop-based event where we battle three, first team to three out of five battles uh, to planet, uh, drop means that basically it's a single life uh, team deathmatch. So once you're dead, dead men tell no tales, you can't talk. But we are increasingly having some other game modes in there as well. And it's it's really nice because somebody like Proxima or myself that's really into it, uh, we can deal with all the battle situations. And, and there are restrictions that say this is what you can bring into battle, this is what you can't, so that it's kind of even. Uh, but that changes all the time, depending on the planet you attack, or we can have it just as simple as uh, even today. We had a few new people come on and say, hi, I want to participate, but uh, I just want to shoot things. And uh, 
In a nutshell, that's that's what Chaos March is, Mr. Kentex. So you don't so you don't actually have to join a faction or anything. Uh no, that's a nice thing that we've uh done about it is that if you want to pledge allegiance to the Capellan Commonality, Chikonov Task Force, uh Blakus or Site Protectorate, you can, and we'll always put you with that team when we can. But otherwise, uh we are real flexible. Sometimes we have 14 people show up. Sometimes we have eight. Sometimes it's 20. And then we just break up the teams evenly on numbers. And uh, you can play for whatever team you want in a week. Uh, but for the most part, it's usually people just say, hey, I'm here to play. And then I uh, sit there and balance out the teams via skill and their individual characteristics. And, and we go and play. So I know... Um... The pub gamers, some of them uh, are no fan of aircraft. Are you allowed to fly aircraft in Chaos March? Well, in Chaos March, we want to allow it to be organized gameplay, and we like to have it to have ba uh, balance, but there are restrictions. Most of the time, we only allow one aircraft per six pilots, so if you have a full server of 12 pi uh, pilots, you're allowed two aircraft. If you fly, if you have six to 11, you can only fly one. And what does that accomplish? Well, we try we try to make it so that you can use as many strategies as you want, but we try to the the aircraft uh, traditionally in organized gameplay have been a little bit more powerful than than in pub games. So we try to uh, make sure that aircraft pilots can still participate in the game, have an influence in the game. But we also try to make sure that most of our combat is on the ground. So it's accomplished that. We still have them in the game, but we've also had it that if you want to use a strategy that uh, would not work if you have an, uh, an aircraft, there are options sometimes to block aircraft. So it's just trying to find some balance in the gameplay. So you mentioned that there's more than one game mode. You said there's these drops, which I've played in those. I know what those are like. So, uh, But what are the other game modes? Well... Cast March has always been designed to be a framework, enable us to be able to move chess pieces, to be able to attack planets and and buy assets and have this whole top level metagame. But at the same time, we also just try to use it. And at the moment, uh, this is our third season of Cast March, heading into our fourth season uh, in the spring. And at the moment, we play predominantly those drops, but we also have uh, escort missions, uh, which you. Have an, uh, you have something that you don't want to get destroyed, and you have to move it from one part of the map to the other. We have so is raid. that like just a, an AI controlled atlas or something like in MechWarrior Online? Uh, no, uh, it's it, it's a pilot in there, and depending on how evil I'm feeling, you either are in a two shots from being dead because you're already damaged, or sometimes we even make it a full Fafnir, and then your te your teammates support you, and you try to find a strategy to get it from. You're t uh, like a waypoint from where you t uh, start to where you finish. Um, and then we change that up a lot of times. Sometimes there's like a lot of people on one side defending. Sometimes it's equal between the two teams. We also play more traditional Living Legends games. Uh, Living Legends being built around terrain control, which is uh, base capturing and, and tickets for each team and, and kills and all that. Uh, we also play... Um, Test, uh, test of Strength, TSA, where there are no bases involved, but then you have a little more money than usual and you try to kill the enemy and stuff. We call those raids. And uh, there are even times in between the game modes where we're just 
waiting uh, for the commanders to make their decisions for the upcoming battle where we just play a mini game where we do anything from Solaris Arena battle armor matches all the way to long time matches to sometimes even uh, Duelist takes on 20 mechs and we crash the server. <laughs> you forgot gambits, good sir. Don't hurt me, display proxy. Yeah, go on about gambits. Well, uh, there are also certain circumstances in the metagame that normally it's a best three out of five in a battle that'll take us usually a day, sometimes two, to fight uh, to determine who wins or loses a planet. But there are also, if the two teams tack head-on uh, against each other at, uh, along the same route between the two planets, it's a best of seven in which we basically kind of throw the kitchen sink included, and it's a, it's a best of seven uh, battle royale, and uh, we've been having a lot of them recently in which... Uh, We've got seven straight battles of ridiculous amounts of, of tonnage and and uh, stuff that Blake you can bring. It's a good chance. It's a good chance to unload your dropship. It's designed to be a bit 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 of additional fun, allow you to use strategies you normally can, but it's basically a, a supersized version of our regular five-player battles. And uh, the two teams get to choose half the maps rather than having them assigned. And then uh, there are usually more uh, loosened battle standards that uh, still allow organized and fair gameplay, but in which you might be able to get away with using uh, a couple more assault mechs uh, versus the mediums that you might usually use. And then the nice thing about that is, though, is that whoever wins that, uh, we combine two turns into one so that the team that wins automatically defends their planet and automatically takes the planet that they captured and that saves us uh, seven maps versus uh, ten so it's a it's a, a high stakes battle and uh, can be qu quite a bit of fun well wonderful i know i participate in chaos march from time to time so uh i hope to see more of that in the future do you have any anything else other than chaos march going on well yeah we're working on a few things our um I'll uh, leave it in the show notes, but our most of what we're working on is uh, preparing for the new season of Chaos March uh, sometime early in the spring, and we're welcoming ideas from everybody. But uh, at the moment, we just played it this past weekend, and we'll have it sometime early, uh, sometime upcoming. I'll leave it in the show notes if, if I have a date set by then. But uh, we're going to be playing something called Operation Viper 3. Uh, way before my time, uh, there was an awesome group of folks uh, – Darlin and uh, some of the other uh, CJW guys uh, came together with the old Smoke Jaguar, a few of the other players, and made uh, made a ga uh, uh, planetary game mode that was designed to run fast. And basically, it's a reenactment of the clan invasion. One team plays clan, one team plays inner sphere. And there are a star map broken up into three sections. We run three servers at once. Each team gets, gets on a section, and they can say, I want to play inner sphere, I want to play clan. And then rather than having the rigid setup of Chaos March, we just basically leave it up to the supervisor to say, well, I have this, I have four players here and four players here, and they, within reason, pick experimental game modes to play. Uh, so we have anything you can think of. We have uh, Pure Tech, where we have Clan versus Inner Sphere. We have Solaris Arena uh, battles, where once, uh, or sometimes we'll even just take one team takes a bunch of battle armors with many lives, and the other takes assault mechs. Uh, sometimes we, if you could think of it, we play it basically, and that'll be coming up here again, uh, Operation Viper 3, sometime in the next few weeks. Uh, we'll be taking a weekend off of Chaos. In addition to that, um, my unit, Clan Smoke Jaguar, uh, usually about once a month. We didn't do it this last month, but we like to host a uh, clan versus clan or unit versus unit thing where we just have everybody bring their teams in. 
Uh, we call it the clan bash, looking for a better name, looking for good suggestions. Basically, we just have people show up and we break up into small teams of our, we break our clans up into small teams to start off and let, let, let our sub commanders play. And then we usually end the night by playing a bunch of train control and TSA. So that's fun. And then, uh, Every once in a while, I'll have events during the summer, such as uh, Solaris Arena tournaments or or just uh, train control. So, yeah, there's always other events. Uh, we'll post anything we have upcoming at mkmaster.com. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely something for everybody. Uh, it's just that Chaos March is kind of usually our bread and butter that we play most weekends. So, earlier you said that Chaos March, you had, like, what, six, six factions, right? Uh, but then you said something about four. What's happened is is that uh, Chaos March, the current the current star map has been played. Uh, we just celebrated our one year anniversary uh, back on October 31st, and during that time, we started with five factions, and uh, one of them, the Duchy of Small, was defeated. And uh, I want to say four because the Takanov Task Force is still around, but has all of three planets compared to some of the other teams that have like 15 or 20. So we're slowly making progress on somebody will, will, will win that. But yeah, over time, uh, the Chaos March event does make progress. Your victories do add up. Your decisions do matter. And uh, there are definitely some teams that can win and lose. So which factions are still going? Well, uh, at the moment, we still have four of the five factions. Uh, Takanov Task Force, as I mentioned, is... Still around, I guess nobody wants to attack them, so they keep battling, uh, but they only have a small number of planets. Uh, the Capellan Commonality has made a pretty good run after being down for a while. They're up to eh, uh, mid-20. Uh, they have like 22, 23 planets out of the 63. Scythe Triumvirate, which was uh, the top team for a long time, is uh, getting hit really hard. They went from about 25 planets down to, I think, about 12 and then the uh, favorite at the moment is the uh, Blakest Forces. They have, uh, I believe, about 30 planets uh, and might be the team to beat, but uh, we'll have to see. I don't think we have 30 yet. It's close, but we're well, getting well, there. Well, we'll have to see how this how this wraps up because uh, Takanoff and uh, Scythe might still be able to make some noise, but increasingly I'm thinking that once they finish up with the other two, that uh, Capellans and... Blakus are going to be the ones to be battling here sometime probably in January or February for seeing who wins this one. There are mechanisms in place if there was ever anybody interested in taking over, uh, helping with one of the factions or outright taking it over. There are mechanisms in place for us to have somebody come in and learn about it. And if they're interested, they could handle the Takanov team or there are mechanisms to uh, create smaller uh, factions and their brand new ones uh so there's always room that uh if people are ever interested in that kind of thing but uh so far just just the the two the two two big factions going at it while the two in the middle are still trying to make some noise and there's well, uh i'll leave it i'll leave it in the show notes ken tax but uh, if your uh listeners uh wanted to follow along with the website but also there's a star map that uh shows real-time progress uh between the fights cool in fact, come to think of it, I think uh, somebody in this uh, channel might help help me make that. So th special thanks to them if they're here. It was nothing. <laughs> but yeah, we keep on trucking along with Chaos March. Uh, you can 
check out some of our some of our videos to kind of see what it is. Our website lays out uh, what it is. We take players of all skill levels. Uh, doesn't matter if it's your first day on the job or you've been here for 10 years. The only requirement we have is that you uh, can connect to TeamSpeak. Uh, don't even need a microphone. And then as long as you can hear us, uh, that's how we do our organization. And um, yeah. Well, that sounds like it's really easy to join. It is. Uh, I like to try to do that with uh, with most of the events with, uh, with with my partners that I work with. And um, sometime here in the next few days, I'm sure I'll have a schedule up for for the rest of the month. And you know, Kentax, probably one of the biggest things that we're looking to do though is since we are starting to wrap up what we're doing, is we're looking for feedback from folks, trying to see good, bad, why I want, why I this is why I don't want to play it. This is why I'd like to play it. But uh, I'll leave it in your show notes there. But uh, we're starting to do some feedback, and we're looking for people's insights for what they'd like to see because we uh, got some exciting plans coming up for the spring on evolving the event and trying to be as inclusive as we can while still uh, being sure to take care of our core basis. But uh, if anybody has any ideas there, they can uh, hit us up there and uh, – There'll be some uh, announcements uh, probably after the first of the year on where we're headed with it. Excellent. I'll uh, definitely put a link uh, with the podcast so that uh, people can check that out and give their give their two cents. All right, that sounds awesome. I always love an opportunity to come by. Yeah, thank you, Dulles. Talk about Thanks these for awesome by. events and. And I just uh, before before I go, I just want to be sure to people don't think this is a one man operation. There are lots of people in the background that have worked uh, both on the best and now uh, with me. And uh, uh, just be sure to uh, be sure to get, give a shout out if you see them, tell them thanks. But uh, this uh, wouldn't be a, uh, wouldn't be possible without all the awesome people out there that have helped us over the years. All right, so uh, I haven't left us a whole lot of time left to talk about our um, our topic or our mailbag. But uh, the topic of choice for this podcast is actually has to do a lot with a bunch of the mail we got before this podcast started, and that is pub game meta. Domkek, what's pub game meta? The best assets to buy and win. Oh, Barring that, I would probably add a bit regarding when to cap and when to be killing men since economy is an incredibly important part of getting better assets for your team. Yeah, most of the games that we see on um, the servers running out there are not Team Solaris Arena or Solaris Arena, um, the Team Deathmatch and Deathmatch modes, respectively, but terrain control. Uh, I know it plays a lot like uh, Battlefield and... Uh, I mean, I've been playing Living Legends for, well, since pretty much since it came out. And Train Control, is it actually technically the newest game mode? Or did Solaris Arena come out after it? I don't remember. I Solaris Arena came out last. Okay. So, wow, it's been a long time since we have a new game mode. But yeah, Terrain Control is the most common game mode we see out there. And so early in the match, I know that I either take one of two things. I will take either a fast asset, um, like uh, Hephaestus, or a... Um, my favorite is the Rudolph Osiris with the small lasers 
and the mask so it can go real fast. And it's got uh, uh, Streak 6 on it as well. I'll take that and to go capture bases because having a good forward base to build mechs at is so critical to performing well in uh, terrain control. Alternatively, um, if there's a lot of players on the server, a mech with C3 radar is a good choice. Um, Owens have it. Ravens have it. Uh, I, is there still a cougar that has it? I don't think so, no. There is, actually, the cougar. Uh, I stand corrected. Yeah, PPC, tag. It's actually pretty, that's actually pretty funny because my first go-to, like when you first start and all you have is the base C bills, the first thing I usually always go for is Osiris Prime with the four medium lasers and uh, SRM-6 just because it's a really nice brawly build and I can pretty much take on any other light mech that comes at me right in the early game. Uh, and I, I prefer brawling, I'm not much for uh, like the long range fight, so uh, that's just like a mech that really works for me. And yeah, the Osiris is great at brawling because it has that 360 degree rotation on its torso. Yeah. Plus. Um, also for clan, because sometimes we have pure attack, you know, inner sphere versus clan. Um, sometimes that means you're not going to have access to the Owens because the Owens is one of the few starter assets that you can actually buy that has C3. And so for clan, you've got the Hephaestus and the Hephaestus, there's several models of that that have C3. If I'm going to, um, usually what I do if I'm gonna um, take if I'm if I'm gonna take something specifically to go out and cap bases, I usually take one of the solitaires with mask uh, because it's the fastest mech. And and if I'm just gonna focus on just that, then I do that. But if I'm gonna be taking anything else that's a light mech and I want something a little more brawly, it's usually uh, one of the Osiruses or like uh, the Uller with the UAC twenty there. That thing is awesome. Oh yeah, the yeah you're right. I forgot to mention the solitaire. Yeah, there's the two different solitaires with masks. There's the one that has flamers and um, the high explosive uh, advanced tactical missiles. Mm -hmm. That one I think is probably the better of the two, but it doesn't have as many heat sinks, so it can't use the mask for quite as long as the large laser um, solitaire. But they're both great options for. Um, capturing bases and they're good late game too uh i know people might be quick to discount lights late game because they die so easily but late game when you need to capture a base and your enemy is isn't like budging at all from in front of your base you can streak by them in a light mech sometimes get around them and go capture a base on the opposite side of the map and they'll have no opportunity to stop you Something else that people really don't take in consideration is weapon loadouts on the assets they take, um, or rather, taking assets with certain weapons. I understand that someone's favorite asset might be, oh, I don't know, an Uller, or maybe a tank, but those Ullers or tanks, the only thing they can afford is, say, missiles. You don't want to take missiles on a map where everything is close range, you don't want to take, say, long-range weaponry in a close-range brawl, unless if you know you're going to win. And you don't want to take brawl stuff into a long-range poke fest where the pokers are currently hitting you. Um, for example, the uh, Owens 
with the MRM-10s. It's a great moneymaker early game, but there's one problem with it, and that's MRMs are hard to use. You can try and point them, you can try and lead them, and you, unless you're really experienced with them, you're likely to miss. And that's especially problematic when you're shooting against a, another light mech, which is what you're going to be doing in the early game. So that Owens, I think in some ways it's better at helping you get more C-bills if you're starting a little bit later in the round and there's like, a, you know, the, your enemies in mediums, heavies, and assaults because then those MRMs are almost guaranteed to hit against an assault. Oh, and I guess I didn't mention what C3 even does. So C3 is a radar sharing um, electronics package. I believe it weighs two tons, and um, so it's, it does take a, you know, it's a big hit on light mechs to have, have to carry that. But it gives you a small amount of C-bills every time a friendly mech, or asset of any kind, tank or otherwise, um, does something within, I believe, within a thousand meters of you. So if they do something good, then you will get C-bills. And I, I think there's also a passive Seabill boost just for being in range of your allies, but it's not much at all. It's just a small trickle. Uh, so it shares radar within, for any, any ally that's within 1,000 meters of you as long as you have your radar on. So even if you have Beagle Active Probe, which extends your radar out to 1,200 meters, or if you have Bloodhound Probe, which extends it out to 1,400 meters, you're still only sharing with your allies that are within 1,000 meters. So... Keep that in mind that you have to stay within a thousand of your allies to share it. It's not just it's not just people who are in range of your radar. Dom Kirk. Mm-hmm. Say for example your team is currently hammering the crap out of an opposing team with a bunch of missiles and stuff. And the opposing team needed to counter your missile spam. What should they do to counter that? The least variable option would be usage of either LAMs or laser anti-missile systems that engage missiles and, of course, destroy them before they can hit you, or by bringing an AECM asset. AECM is a special type of basically electronic warfare equipment which prevents them from locking onto your assets as fast, hides friendlies on radar, and blocks NARC which is super important if they have any spotting assets out. More variable would be use of terrain, basic literacy and chat to follow routes or just generally following the biggest baddest guy who isn't dying to missiles. And communication with your team, really, can sum that up. Communication is always important. Yeah. Because like, if you're getting hammered to missiles, there might be the one lucky guy to bring an AACM, but then two might do it, or three might do it, or just nobody at all, because they expect someone else to do it. Communication, just pick a guy, hey, you have the money, you're responding, could you please grab AACM, and nine times out of ten, they will. Just tell them to stick by you, and you're good. Do you know why, why, why what the issue is, is with some people wanting to... I, I see it quite often in TC matches where the entire team tries to swarm a single cap point. That cap point is heavily defended beyond reason, and 
those attackers tried to take him end up getting murdered. Marcia's, Marcia's, Josh, no, be quiet. Lies. But, you, you know, it's, it's, they, they try to swarm this cat point and they get murdered. Be, and, I'm, you know, it, I'm over here thinking to myself, you're acting like lemmings. Why? I'm not quite well versed into the usual mindset of your puppy. But from my observations, it seems they see friendly assets on radar, mini-map, or even just visual confirmation of them moving to this point. And naturally, you want to be with your team. Better rewards, less risk, and so on and so on. So all it takes, like one lemming falling off a cliff, is for somebody to start going mid. And others think, well, I guess I can support him. Mid's pretty good. Mid's tasty and shit, without quite evaluating the threat at mid, and if that one guy is going to make the difference even with your help. Really, it boils down to looking at your keyboard and mashing that M key, Mansi, Motel, whatever you want to call it, and seeing what you have, what tickets you have, what score you have, or if you're familiar with the rank system, or ink you have, because this determines the threat of a player, what assets they can buy in particular how they earn that money. If you see a big scary guy with like 1,200 points, you know he has to be somewhat good. And, of course, their location. You want to support the scary guys. If they're fighting and winning, you cap. If you're the scary guy, you want to be picking the best shit for your team and so on. Like, Generally, it just comes down to you're an individual working with other individuals towards a goal. Remember that you can communicate to them and even share info. So a lot of these um, heavily defended bases that Proxmo is talking about, uh, for example, on Marshes or Alte, um, were formerly the bases that were worth the most points. And so people actually had to capture that base. And if they didn't, they would lose. Thankfully, Marshes and Alte have been changed, and those bases are now worth less than other bases on the map. So the best strategy, of course, on those is to completely ignore that heavily defended base and capture all the other posts. Uh, that's not as possible with some ba um, some maps, like um, Death Valley, Mirage. for example, or Mirage, yeah. With Death Valley, um, you need to have either Bravo 5 North Base or Gulf 4 South Base. They are... in just integral to attacking the Delta Force center base. I mean, this never was actually the case beforehand until one of the most more recent patches where if you were to click M and pulled up the map, you wouldn't actually see how many, I guess, the, the multiplier that the bases were actually giving. It was this, oh, they give two, two times multiplier at middle? Oh, they give 0.5 multipliers out there on the outskirts? Oh. Yeah, it'd be a real nice feature if we could figure out how many tickets each base was worth um, using, like, uh, part of the game instead of the map screenshots. Because when people are making a map, they take screenshots of the map, and then they upload that into the mini-map. And uh, when they do that, they can then photo edit it to include the... Um, the multipliers, and so that's what's happened with Alte and Marshes and a lot of other maps, is that map makers have gone through and added the multipliers. Definitely a help. Going back to the necessity of taking mid, as much as it is always a valuable point, there's a minimum 
threshold of power on your team's part required to take it once the enemy has it. Because presumably, team A fights team B, team A wins, go back, RTB, they have mid, they'll buy better assets or parent regroup, right? Team A is now at an inherent advantage, and team B might not have ranked up or gotten anything useful out of it. So if team B just goes back in, they're going to die on better assets. This is where you should split up groups of two, groups of three, and start capping as that money value is the same for everyone capping. You all get like the equal amount of money and shit. So getting a bunch of people ranked up, even if it's slightly mediocre assets than team B has, is still way safer and generally more beneficial than suiciding on team A until something happens, until they make a catastrophic mistake. You should never give your enemy that agency, never let them make the first mistake. You should do the best you can on your own end. Yeah, so one thing that is um, important to know about um, some maps, and that it's good to try and find out, find out about it, is whether or not the central base has mech construction facilities and whether or not it has repairs and whether or not it has ammo so the yeah yeah these bases it's important to know how much they're worth uh not just with the tickets but whether they have mech facilities and things like that because if the central base has both repairs and mech bays it is going to be so difficult to capture it your enemy is going to be, have they're going to respawn there they're going to build their tanks you know because tanks are great at point defense They'll build a Demolisher, a Morigu, a Partisan Bravo, a Partisan Alpha, uh, just a, a Hewitt. So many other different assets are available for defense. Now, an Alte, for example, it's got 65-ton max on its mech bay, and it has no repairs. So eventually, you probably will whittle them down, especially if you're getting into bigger mechs. But it's still not worth it because it's only worth um, half as much as a regular base. It's better to capture the base that's adjacent to it or bypassing it completely and heading to the opposite side of the map. I will yeah. say as uh, one of the more casual players, I guess, because I don't play that often, um, that having the updated mini-maps with the letting us know like what the multiplier is on the base and if there's a repair bay there or a mech bay there and we can actually buy stuff there and, and how, you know what it goes up to, like maybe we can only buy up to mediums or only up to heavies. Having that info right on the mini-map is extremely useful so whoever's idea that was thank you because that's like super awesome to see that i believe that was uh who was the mapper who did that do you remember invictus or as a custom map didn't it i, I believe it's ivan who's been doing it updating the official maps with that oh was okay yeah it'll be ivan or yvonne so um another thing that we see a lot of in pub games is ejecting uh, yeah, a lot of ejecting. And there's a couple reasons why this is bad, and maybe only one reason why it's ever good. Or two reasons. Um, the bad reason, or the reason why you don't want to do it, is because as a battle armor, you're actually worth two tickets. And so if you eject from your mech and get shot and die, you've subtracted more tickets than if your mech just died. Um... The only reason I would do that is if I was really close to killing somebody and I'd lost all my weapons on my mech. Do that. Shoot them with your missiles. 
yeah, you know, the bear, bear auto can doesn't really do anything. So shoot them with your missiles, throw a C8 charge on them, whatever it takes. And if you can actually make that kill, then it's worth it. But if you can't, if you're nowhere close to that kill, it's not worth it. The only other reason I would do it is if there is a base really nearby that I could potentially cap that where I'm not going to instantly get killed by the guy who's destroying my mech. Or so, just hold the map, or hold the base, and just run around and deny him the kill, because if you can keep the base, then someone else can spawn and kill him. Yeah. Here's here's the thing, though, about ejecting, too. When you eject, um, and you're kind of newish to the game, or you're just not that good... Really, you really want to die with your mech so that way you can respawn with all that money again instead of sitting in main base for five minutes begging, which is not going to be very constructive in the long run for your team. And two, you're just going to annoy everybody to the point where either everybody's going to tell you to be quiet or they're just inevitably going to give you what you want, but it's going to take for freaking ever. When you, in fact, you probably could earn four times that amount just running around as BA, and if your team is currently under a lot of pressure by the enemy team, it's kind of important to actually get back out into the field in a speed, uh, rather quick manner to go support your allies. Yeah, I've, um, I've actually seen a number of experienced terrain control players destroy a mech and then see the ejected battle armor uh, shooting at them and launching missiles and stuff. And they'll just take one look at him, and they'll run away. And they'll leave him there, in the middle of nowhere, where they can't contribute to the battle at all. And of course, if you suicide, you are subtracting score from yourself. Right. Right. So people don't want to have to suicide like that. Um, One really common misconception is that your money goes away when you die. It doesn't. The only time that your C-bill total when you come back to life will be different from what you died with is if you're getting more money. Yeah, if your rank is higher and your starting money is higher than your current money, then you'll start right. with just more money. Um, may I make a suggestion just as sort of like an outsider and a more casual player on the like fun side of things? I, I actually thought... I, I didn't know um, that ejecting cause you to lose more seabill like if if your mech dies and then you die right you're two extra tickets. Yeah, tickets i thought when you when your mech blows up and you blow up with it in the like you get killed inside of it all those tickets just compiled together well, com- and it was just I believe nope. that's right combined and and i'm it used well, to be, i think it used to be that way right i would i would actually on sort of like a fun side of things prefer that way, you know, balances so that it just is that way because then it makes ejecting more of like something viable to do and sort of like a last stand effort to, you know, A, help your team not lose more tickets and B, see, see what you can do. Just like ejecting is fun. It, it is. It's really, it really is fun because it's like this is what the only uh, first person uh, mech warrior game that you can actually do that in. You know, and so I think by default, a lot of people really just like when they first play Living Legends, it's something that people just kind of want to do. It's like, oh, oh, oh yeah. sweet, I can, I can eject? Hell yeah! You know, and it's, it's just really cool to do. And so I would give ejecting more of a purpose. And I would say, like, 
what if we combine the tickets back together? You know, well, I mean? when we get the battle armor rework, I'm sure it will be able to fix any problem with that. Right? Yeah, because that would be super fun. That the default pilot will not cost any tickets. Okay. I think the yeah. only time that's actually really good to eject is yes, it, as Kentex said, is if you're about to die and your opponent's like just there to dying and your two SRMs are gonna finish them off, then yeah, do it, go for it. Or if you've been raking in a shit ton of money, um, you're trying to get back to base, you're defending it from enemies, your your mech, you, you eject from your mech, it blows up, but you are able to uh, get back to base rather quickly and rebuy a asset and then mm-hmm. go back into the field again. There have been several cases actually where I've been, um, you know, like my money is way higher than my starting money and I am able to eject and get back to base safely. It's rare, but it does happen, and especially if um, what's better to do it is, um, I find, is better not to eject while you're in the middle of a fight and about to die, but rather slip away from the fight if you can and you know eject later because you know they're coming after you and you're not going to be able to outrun them, but eject later, let, them, let your mech that's sitting there be a distraction while you slip away back to base, and I've done that as well. I think by far the most effective strategy for abandoning my mechs has been I have all the money in the world, I'm next to a factory, and this mech either has a mask or movement tank, in which case I'll set it sailing full speed in whatever direction, eject the opposite way, and just buy another asset and keep holding that point. But beyond that, it's almost utterly worthless. And yeah. in case of serving someone, if there's a single lambs within so-and-so meters, it's going to intercept both serms, and you're just going to be sitting there looking at their black CT, trying to bear hunter them, and you're going to get gatted. Yeah. No ands, ifs, or buts. Yeah, it'll take, it could take minutes, literally minutes, to wear, wear them down with the bear autocannon. Now, if you did take out their side torso on inner spear, XL engine sets two times damage to the CT. It'll take only a minute compared to your two minutes and so on. Yeah. Um, so here's a question. With the current meta, let's say you've just barely broken out of the starting tier. So instead of spawning with, what is, what's the current one? 47k? Is that the 43. start? 43. 43? Yeah, let's say you've got up to 49, which is, this, I believe, the second tier. What do you get? There's, I mean, there's like, I want to say maybe 10, 12 assets that become available, but they're mostly, it's it's all the, it's most of, it's the Owens, Ulers, Osiris's, the Ravens, all the Chevys, all the, uh, I wouldn't say the, no, not the Ares, all the Chevys, all the Hephaestuses. So that gives you access to the Goss Uler and the UAC-20 Uler? Correct. Mm-hmm. And then you've got some Ares... Three, I think, three Ares tanks. Three Ares. Uh, one Cougar. No, not... No. You don't even have the first Cougar, yet. do you? No, not even the first Cougar. So the Cougars are not open up yet. And I think you get access to a Chimera? Two or three. Two or you three in the, the Hollanders. as well. So you, when you level up, you you have access to like some medium assets, 
but they're really not too great. Some of them are. Like, for example, uh, the Light Goss. Is the Light Goss Hollander actually accessible at that point? I don't believe so. I don't think so. It's pretty pricey. Uh, I, knew, I do know one of the Ares, the uh, Ares with the uh, LDX-10 three pulse lasers and the high-explosive ATMs is good. It's one of the best brawler assets for that price. And uh, as a little side note for our viewers, in Solaris Arena, you can first buy that Ares. Absolute brutality. Recommend it every day. I almost, almost soloed a Mad Cat with that thing once. Plus, you also have all of the really good... Uh, 30 tonners available to you so you may you don't even need to take one of those starter medium x you you actually have really powerful 30 25 tonners available at that point which in many cases actually outvalue the starter mediums one of the strategies yes. um that i have at that level of c-bills is to um ask for spares in chat because I have just enough that I can afford a few other really good assets if I get even, you know, 5k more. I think if you get 3k more at that point, you get the uh, ATM Cougar. Cougar Echo and it's 4k since it's like 51 and 100 C-Bills. You can also get the Partisan Alpha at that level. That's the Quad LBX5 Partisan that has Guardian Electronic Countermeasures. Excellent for point defense, but it's mobility. Yeah, very it fast, but it's a tank. Don't forget yeah, yeah. the early VTOLs. The earlier you can get a VTOL, the better it is, to the point to where it's almost overpowered, but that's balanced out by their extreme drop-off early game. And fine. Regarding that, a not-so-uncommon strategy is to simply buy a cheap solitaire or whatever Hephaestus, not Hephaestus, a Osiris, and give one of your mates 10k, or at least almost 10k. Tell yeah. them to buy a VTOL, tell them to capture it. They will have a fantastic time of fames, and Osiruses aren't bad, not by any stretch. Yeah, really... not anymore. They used to be terrible, but now they're definitely viable. Yeah. That one of the most competitive Brawly assets for just sticking on a point is the Osiris Alpha with its free medium X pulse lasers and Streak 74. You can give someone about 9600 with that, have them pop a VTOL, and you just go in. Good time for everyone, eh? Yeah. Uh, and don't be shy to ask for C-Bills, because this game is a cooperative game. It is not a, you know, it's not a single player, uh, or it's not so much of a self-serving experience uh, i know in other games you're like oh stop begging stop begging but no in in this game it's really important to share your c-bills your team will do just phenomenally better if you ask and you give don't sit there and panhandle for 10 minutes though right yeah i hope it's be useful yeah, um also beg. one thing to watch out for is that do not ask for a donation while you are dead if you receive a donation while you're dead at this point the money just disappears into the ethereum yeah, we need to fix that. So, uh, if you want like a a good um, brawler at the sort of like uh, what's the, what's the next C bill level after that? Um, 54. Yeah, fifty four. Yeah, what are you what are you going for there? Well, you 
get more of the uh, mediums available, uh, better chimeras, better hollanders, you get access to some of the early uh, 50 tonners, and I think one or two 55 tonners. Eh, not that early. Not that early, okay. Uh, but yeah, oh, some of the 50 tonners, uh, things like the Uzeals, uh, tanks, you get access to more Ares tanks, such as uh, the Ares with the Ultra 10 and the two SRMs, which is absurdly disgusting. Yeah. I think the Rack Partisan? No, the Rack Partisan's not available yet. No. Yeah, uh, it's 59k. Get access over. To, you get access to the Opponas. Uh, I think one of the ones that you can get is the uh, Ultra 10 Flamer one. Yep, you act 10 Flamer upon you. And I don't think it has Gekum, but it does have the optics. It does. But the uh, the value of your of the uh, mediums like Camaro with PPC and MRMs is really good. You get uh, basically the most of the Hollanders, like the uh, Ultra 20 Hollander, which is a little bit more survivable than the Uller with the uh, Ultra 20. And I think it's got jump jets too. Uh, um, yeah, 21 does not. Bah. So before we go on about um, any more of that. Uh, like, you know, pay scale by pay scale thing. Uh, Proxima, what, like, what's sort of a typical game for you? What do you start in? When do you sell? Stuff like that. A typical game for me. Um, when I first join in, depending on what the map is, I will usually... Let's say, for example, it's a open map like Death Valley. I'll use Death Valley as an example. Um, I'll usually hop into the uh, Festus Gamma, which is two medium lasers and ATMs, which is actually really, really, really good, provided that you stay at a optimal range of about 500 meters from your target. It's got a low profile, and you can actually, since you're, because you're low profile, you're not as targeted per se by uh, other assets people people really do tend to focus things with legs for some strange reason looks like um, bigger people this is true um a lot of times uh i've been playing this game for about two and a half years now so i know how to survive and not die so i don't really have an issue of having to go through the uh, leveling up pains as some other people tend to do, where I'm stuck in a light mech for half of the game and then finally upgrade to a medium mech for the other remaining half of the game. I usually, I want to say maybe 15-20 minutes of me fighting, capping, and killing, I can actually afford most assault mechs after about 15-20 minutes with just that Hephaestus. Moving on to, say, a medium to close range map, usually it, it's, no, of course I'm not going to take that kind of Hephaestus. I may take the Uller with the uh, heavy large SRM6s, uh, the Uller Prime. I may take the Owens with the MRMs. I may take Hephaestus with the uh, large lasers and SRMs. You know, I, or the, even the Osiris Prime for that matter. Something just to change it up and not make it so boring. But at the same time, drawing up on my experience, I typically will, you know, fight cap and do all of that stuff till the 
give the team some bits and pieces of information, go back, repair, keep fighting until I am able to afford something bigger, which usually, again, takes about 15-20 minutes. Um, well, thanks for that, Proxima. And uh, thanks again, Shivaxi, for coming in and offering us a, a unique perspective on all this. And yep. thanks, Duelist, for uh, telling us about all this um, chaos nice march and organized Look stuff. To Look forward to yeah. listening to it. Yeah, thank you. Um, and Domkek, thanks for co-hosting. And Invictus, thank you for giving us an inside look. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I thank Invictus before I thank me, but um, yeah. Thanks for being here, everyone. And I believe this concludes the Returning the Base podcast.